we're not intended to go through life. We're social animals. As loners, we are just not. And loneliness is a killer. It kills people. And stress of loneliness kills people. Communities can often, not always, but can often solve for that. Welcome to the Trusted Partner Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer and Gabe Chodak. Jesse and Gabe are relationship managers at Cobblestone Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm that serves families and individuals in all aspects of their financial lives. All opinions expressed by Jesse and Gabe or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Cobblestone Capital Advisors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Cobblestone Capital Advisors may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us an email with questions, suggestions, or content ideas to our email address, podcasts at cobblestonecap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Trusted Partner Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Welcome to episode 31 of the Trusted Partner Podcast. You know, Gabe, more and more of our peers, friends, uh, loved ones, our clients, they're helping their parents and their grandparents with problems that are unique to growing old. Yeah, Jesse, and we've learned from them that it can be a challenging process and a really difficult conversation. Thankfully, there are experts who make it their business to help clients with specific aspects of growing old. Today, Gabe and I are sitting down with one of those experts, Karen Menikoff. Karen, with her husband, Dan, owns and operates Caring Transitions of Rochester, which offers relocation and downsizing services to a mainly senior citizen clientele. This is an important topic for many different age groups, not just those who might directly lean on Karen's expertise. For children and grandchildren, they're often directly involved in the process of helping parents or grandparents with long-term care decisions. And this topic shares common space uh, and overlap with estate planning, Medicaid planning, long-term financial planning, even with real estate deals, buying or selling of houses, and, and much more. So without further ado, let's bring on Karen Menikoff, owner of Caring Transitions of Rochester. Yeah, so Karen, thanks so much for having us. Uh, great to see you. It's been a little bit of time. Um, let, let's dive right in. Love to hear a little bit about how you got involved in Caring Transitions, and I believe it's a national brand, so what that looks like. Sure. So, you know, I had been in a long-standing career for a long while, 20-plus uh, years in a, in a career, and I was just looking for something really different, to be honest. And I wasn't sure what that looked like. Uh, I was looking for businesses. I had some experience in the franchise world, and I decided to go look at, you know, the top-performing franchise organizations in the country, and this was one of them. And it immediately struck a chord with me. This business um, provides a service that I think is really needed, and I have personal experience knowing how how much it's needed, uh, family out of town that, you know, went through some of these same issues. And sort of, it immediately, like I said, immediately struck a chord and I thought, this is something that is so important. Families all over the place need it. And I don't think anyone's really doing this in a formal way. And so that's kind of what started the journey. Um, and, you know, it is a national franchise. There's about 250 locations all over the country. So it's good to know the name because we all know people who live elsewhere and cousins and friends and whatever who are going through the same things that our families are going through. And so it's good to know that there's probably caring transitions near them as well. Yeah. Uh, but we're an independent operation. We're in Rochester. The listeners 
will have heard a little brief intro into caring transitions from, from Gabe and I in the introduction, but in your own words, define caring transitions for us. What do you do? Who do you help? How do you help them? And what might be some of the thoughts going through listeners' heads where they say, oh, maybe maybe I need help from caring transitions? Yeah, so we serve primarily seniors and their families who are going through the process of transitioning and downsizing and relocating. This is a wide, there are a wide number of circumstances, but I would say the primary purpose or primary reason is people are moving into senior living communities. There are many, there are many other alternatives, but primarily people moving into senior living communities who need a lot of assistance with that process. And we are there to really provide that comprehensive set of services. So it's three things that we primarily generally do. We work with them to facilitate all aspects of the downsizing move, figure out what's going to fit, do a space plan, help them figure out what things they want to bring and don't want to bring. Uh, we do all the packing, all the coordination, and then we resettle them in their new home. So the day of their move, their bed is made, the refrigerator magnets are back in the refrigerator, the computer and TV are up and running. It is move-in ready. All the boxes are gone. Then we shift into dealing with what else is left behind, what they haven't taken, and that's a big factor for people. You know, there's always things left behind. Sometimes they're saleable, donations, recycling, discard. All those things come into play, but we deal with them all. And then oftentimes I'm selling the house as part of that process. So the idea is really to take what is a very overwhelming situation, to take a very overwhelming situation and essentially minimize the stress associated with it by taking some of the logistics and some of the management and coordination off of people's plates. Right. Because this is already a stressful time, right? You're dealing with a huge change in your life. It's, it is a major, I'm sure we'll use transition plenty throughout this process, <laughs> right. but it it is a major transition. And, you know, family members are probably assisting as well. And everyone else has time constraints. And there, there's so much going on that kind of having all of the details settled is very beneficial. Yeah, you know, a lot of our clients, I mean, I think you're exactly right, Gabe, a lot of our clients are um, going through a lot at this juncture. So, you know, obviously there's the obvious piece, which is like, I'm getting ready to move. That's super stressful. There's all these things that I'm not sure what to do about or how to handle. Maybe I haven't moved. Most of our clients haven't moved in, you know, four years. Yeah, I mean, hard it's pass very common. Yeah. That's... It's super hard. But in addition, there's often a stimulus um, for this move. Maybe it's the loss of a spouse. Maybe it's you know, uh, a diagnosis that's a little bit different or, 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 or declining health in yes, some manner. Something, you know, it, it, it's not always terrible, but there's often an impetus for this move. And that is also putting a lot of strain on these seniors and their families in a lot of cases. And so the, you know, as I said, we always, our clients are often not their best selves when we see them because they're going through so much and they're anxious and there's just a lot happening. And the family dynamic is often not at its best at that moment either. So, you know, our role is often to say, listen, what you're dealing with at, on those issues is actually what's important. Getting your stuff from A to B, figuring out whether this is donatable or not, determining whether this dresser is going to fit in the closet or not. These are details that need to be solved for, but they're not that important. Better you should spend as a family time dealing with some of these other issues and keeping the heat down on on as much as you can. Senior living facilities are complicated enough. The the applications, the financing of it, the meal plans, the processing, all of that is difficult enough. You don't need excess worries when you don't have to have them. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, most of our clients uh, have already made a decision about where they're going, meaning, you know, that's usually I'm not getting involved when they're still like pie in the sky, but they've, they've sort of decided they're going to make a move and now they're just like, but I have no idea how to do it. And I'm overwhelmed and anxious and I need help. Um, that said, this is something I say to clients all the time when I meet with them. Um, I've moved probably thousands of people at this point. We've been in business for 10 years. It is uniformly true, almost to the person, that people are very anxious about the move. They're very worried about the process. They're not sure how it's going to go. They're, they're just uncertain about it all. And at the end of it, their comment is, I don't know why I waited so long. Mm -hmm. This is so common. I tell people this all the time because I know it's hard to believe when you're in the front end of that, but I see it all the time at the back end where people are like, this is fantastic. What was I thinking? Why did I wait so long? So I try to reassure people with that. It does, it's no guarantee. You know, people are different. We're all different people. A move isn't the right thing for everybody, but I do think that's important to convey. We talk about it all the time with clients, a lot around estate planning or other items, but it is being proactive doesn't mean you're setting things in stone. Obviously, with a move, it's, it's a little bit different, but being proactive about these types of decisions can save a lot of stress in the long run because like you said the impetus is usually something being reactive and that just adds an extra layer around it are, are you seeing people start to change and think about this downsizing or this shift earlier on in life or is it still always very much just a something in my life now happens something in our family happened and now we are we need to make a change. It's really mixed. I would say that a lot of people do think more about it now maybe than when I started in this business, but they still don't act often until um, you know something specific happens. That said, the something specific might be something different now. You know, early on it would have been, you know, uh, I fell, I had some, you know, incident that really scared me and now I have to make a move or my health has declined so much that I am forced to make a move. That still happens, but there are also people who are just a little ahead of that curve, I think, and saying, you know, I don't want to be there. The point of going to a community isn't just to get care, but it's to actually thrive. So if I'm going to be in independent living in a community here in town, and there are a lot of great ones, I'm going there not just because I'll be safer, <laughs> but because there are people there and I'll have all kinds of fun things going on. And the food is going to be way better than anything I'm going to make for myself. And I feel safe and secure. And I mean, so many things are easier. And so it is easy to lose sight of the positives, but that's the reason most of our clients are moving, for the positives. So in that, if that's the case, then why are you waiting until you're actually unhealthy and unable to really enjoy it? Mom, if you're listening, your brisket is still wonderful. No, no need to change. It's not dry at all. <laughs> Karen, walk us through some of the logistics, maybe some of the timelines themselves. I'm thinking of the question like, from the time you get that first call of someone you had said most of your clients have already made the decision. They know where they're going, what facility, what what home they're planning on moving to. And so now they want to engage with you. What's the timeline like from that first initial conversation until the time where you've made their bed at their new room and the TV and computer set up and now it is theirs? Three to six weeks. Okay. So it depends on a lot of things, of course. But, you know, once we know where someone's going, it's, you know, we've done it so much that some of the steps are fairly easy. The hardest thing I would say is um, 
getting people into the rhythm of it. And you know what we do is, this is not a slam bam, thank you ma'am kind of experience. This is a measured, disciplined process. We meet with you, we do a layout. We meet and review the layout. We start working on downsizing rooms in the house. And you know maybe we're meeting with you once a week and every week we're tackling another big project so that at the end, we can really do it quickly and efficiently. Um, and so that relieves a lot, relieves a lot of pressure for people. Like it's not, it's not so, it's not all happening at once. Yeah, it's, it's not measured, rushed. But that, yep. but that time frame sort of depends on individuals and their own decision making style, how much stuff they have, all those things. But generally, I would say, once we once we have a go, it's three to six weeks. Now, I will say just to just to make this clear, it is true that most people do contact us once they know kind of where they're going. That's because communities refer us. You know, they go into a community, they take a tour, they decide they want to do it, and the community people are like, "This is who you should call," because they, the communities, know that having someone help the family is going to make for a much lower stress experience, so that when the resident moves in, their experience is much more positive. So that's why oftentimes that's the case. But we often are also dealing with clients who are still at the front end thinking about it and you know I provide advice and counsel about what to expect in the experience you know the fact that they should be out touring communities and and how they should think about making those decisions so it just varies what's the experience like if that client then wants to you know auction off some of the items that didn't make the move or then if they want to sell the house you know maybe they're not keeping the house in the family does that happen kind of you know starting the next day after their move or is that again a, a measured planned out process yeah so that's a great question and it and again of course it varies because the process is customized but um, generally families make the move first we really encourage that because once they've moved you know you've eliminated a lot of the stress of all oh, the stuff is still here and I don't know what to do with it the move is easier. It's like, what do you want to bring? You want to bring that? Great. And we take it. And then they're in their new space. They're settled. And the, all the other stuff that's been weighing on them is sort of out of sight, out of mind at that point. So people really relax and settle into the community and aren't so focused on the minutia of what are they going to do with the wood pile in the garage, right? So that's helpful. Usually families take anywhere from a few days to you know weeks before anything much more happens at the house because they feel a need or there is a need for them to maybe come back to the house and sort through a few more things that they're thinking about. But broadly speaking, there's a gap. And once they are done with whatever's in the house, whether that's family came into town or, you know, they distributed some things to some neighbors, whatever they're doing, once that's done, then we come in and we operate really independently to determine what's saleable, what needs to be donated or can be donated, what needs to be recycled, what needs to be discarded, and we execute that. The order of that, as it relates to the real estate, just depends on the situation in the house. Sometimes we can do the sell the house first and then deal with what's been left behind. Sometimes it's the other way. It depends on a host of things, but um, but that process is, you know, really once they're out of the house, it's so much easier for them to bear. They sort of forget about it almost. It's sort of like, okay, it's in good hands. I'm good. How do you deal with the hoarding? And I say hoarding on a there's a large spectrum of hoarding, usually with people that are taking advantage of these services. They've had a lot of time in the house and they've accumulated a great amount of stuff. So there's the true hoarders and then there's the people that just have so much stuff. They're either, either overwhelmed or just have so much emotional attachment to things that may not be warranted. H how do you deal with that? Right? Like it's the I, I don't want your 
1970s China. I don't want that spatula. I also don't want the, you know, second grade papers that my mom's been dropping off to my house. I, we can get rid of those. I just found the folder that my mom saved every single report card from Hebrew school, from every school thing. I just put my hands on this folder and said, what is this? I opened it up. I mean, this is ridiculous. Unbelievable. I'll look at it another day. But um, there are a lot of things like that in homes. I'll just say first, you know, to your point, there are hoarders and there are hoarders, right? People who are actual hoarders have a mental, um, uh, mental health issue and they need a therapist. They need a specialist who focuses on people who hoard. And so when we are in, if we're exposed to that situation, um, I, we cannot work, we're not qualified to work with people who have a hoarding pro problem of that nature in their home because they can't let go of things. So we're just going to spend their money, put things in the dumpster, they're going to take them out. So that process is very specific. We do deal with hoarders, hoarding situations when someone is out of the house already. So maybe someone's passed away or someone's moved out. Then it's just a question of doing the work. But everybody, going back to the more common type, the way we use the word hoarder in a more informal way, everybody thinks that they have so much stuff. I mean, you know, and I always say to people, listen, you can't scare me. I've been in thousands of homes, okay? I promise you, your home is not the worst. Um, Except the one. <laughs> no, yeah, there's I mean, one out there. It's, it's, it's really, one. I mean. It's, We're numbers every, people. There's got to be one. <laughs> yeah, it was my mother-in-law's, so this is how I got into the business. So, um, But in general, everybody does think their things are, are more valuable than they are. We hear this all the time because they're valuable to that person. That person loved them and went out of their way to find them, buy them and covet them. So people do have a lot of, uh, place a lot of uh, overvalue on their own things in terms of monetary value. And look, um, someone's gotta break that news and I'm the person who does it. It's not the most popular place to be every day, but I see no benefit in telling people anything other than what is true. And that is, this is what you have. This is how the market values these things. This is what you should expect. and. If they want to listen to that and accept it, that's fine. If they don't, they can try to get a better answer, but I, I, you know, I'm confident they're not going to get a better answer. So it's, you know, people have to kind of work their way into this, and, and I, I'm, I'm quite direct about it. I'm kind, but I'm honest. And I think that that's what people need, a professional opinion that's, that's not self-interested. I don't have a self-interest in telling you your stuff is or isn't worth money. I, 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 that's not something that's going to benefit me. So I, just be honest, be straightforward, and tell you what the market's likely to, you know, just how they're going to view the things that you have. Um, the truth is that um, donations, as an example, well, obviously the sales market's different. The secondary market for things is very different. But in addition, it's not that easy to donate today. Um, donation companies don't take anything like what they used to. We used to just call them up. They'd come when we asked them to come, and they'd take everything we wanted them to take. That's not how it works anymore. So we, we just have to educate our clients about what's realistic and what to expect. And I think honesty helps, to, helps people let go and, and come to terms with things. And I'll say that um, it's, as always, really helpful to have a professional in the room instead of being the son or the daughter who's trying to have this conversation. I mean, I with my own parents, you know, the relationship they have with me, it's hard for them to listen to what I say because I'm their daughter. But the minute an expert comes in and says the same exact thing, they think it's like, you know, mana from heaven. So There's, there's got to be a name for that there because is, we, we've all, we all know exactly what you're we, talking about. Yeah, and so, you know, I would just say that it, it, one of the reasons families engage me is because they, they can have a, a neutral, objective point of view at the table, and, um, and I think that's important. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it's a it's a hard thing to do. What you just described is challenging. It's a big part of I think what we try to do. I'm looking at Gabe right now, which is 
having those hard conversations where you, you have to be the bearer of, of bad news, it's a challenge. But 99 times out of 100, the person across the table from you appreciates the fact if you're being open, honest, giving them the, the, the truth uh, in just the most straightforward way you can. And have solutions, right? I mean, and bringing solutions to it, whether it's your financial plan doesn't work as it currently exists and there's changes that need to be made or here's different avenues you can go down. And same thing, no one wants your stuff. It's not as valuable as you think it is, but here are some different options to help relieve you of this additional stressor that you don't need. Look, you guys are in the business of having very long-standing, trusting relationships with your clients. Your clients have hired you because you're professionals, you're trustworthy, and you have their best interests at heart. That's for sure. So, you know, they have, they, you know, that goes both ways. I mean, when you, as a financial person, say to a client, this is what I think, they hear it, you know, differently than they're going to hear it from their kids. And when you say, hey, I, I think you should speak to person A, B, or C about this particular need you have, which isn't my area of expertise, but is theirs. There's a trust piece there. And so, look, a lot of referrals come from these trusted relationships, financial planners, attorneys, care managers, because the, the client can hear better from them than they can from their kids or, you know, from anybody else. Mm-hmm. Let's, I, I had a question, Karen. You, you mentioned kids right there. I mean, Gabe and I know that a good number of our listeners are maybe more in our cohort, meaning their parents are potentially thinking about the, the, the work that you do, or their grandparents even are thinking about. So what kind of role do maybe younger people, or at the very least we can talk about children of your clients, what role do they play? How should they approach these conversations or just the, the move itself? Or just what, what are some interesting stories, scenarios, tips you have for, for those listeners? You know, it, it's really different, obviously, by family, right? Because some families have very particular dynamics. But um, a couple things I'll say about it. We do a lot of um, work with the family, you know, not just the senior. But I will say, first off, assuming the senior who's moving is is uh, capable of making their own decisions. There's no, you know... Sound of mind. You know, sound of mind. There's no, uh, you know, there's no legal relationship, guarantor relationship. Right, any power type. of attorney. Yeah. Well, even power of attorney is okay because they're still making decisions, right? But if there's, if there's a guarantor in place, that means they're really not capable legally to make those decisions, mm-hmm. right? So in the absence of that, the senior is my client. No questions asked, okay? So sometimes you're in a situation where the kids want something that the, the parents don't want, and they want to try to influence me in my thinking. But at the end of the day, again, the senior's my client. My job is to make their move their move and their experience and to empower them to make the decisions. That doesn't mean it, it has to be divisive. It can be incredibly um, collaborative, and it often is. But it's important to just say that out loud. Like, you know, sometimes I'll get a call from the kids of someone, and they think, you know, they're going to be able to sort of strong arm the situation. And, you know, that's just not how it works. We're here to serve and do what's in the best interest of the client, just like you guys are. Um, that said, there are families who really want their kids involved, and the kids maybe want to be involved, maybe they don't want to be involved. So sometimes we get hired because the kids really don't want to or can't be involved for whatever reason. Sometimes there are seniors who really don't want their kids involved. So that's the other end. Kids don't get that. They're like, what do you mean? (laughs) But sometimes parents are like, look, I don't want my daughter in my stuff arguing with me about A, B, and C. I want to have a loving relationship with my child. I want to go to the movies. I want to whatever. But that's not the relationship. That's not. I I don't want to have a working relationship with my daughter or son. So it goes all ways. Um, I will say that um, 
it's great when families are involved. I think that's always great as long as there's sort of a point of contact. And, you know, sometimes we're in situations where we have three kids calling with three different sets of information. And, you know, we just can't, you know, obviously it's very difficult to manage a complex, detail-oriented project when you have incoming from all directions. So we look for a person to sort of take the lead. Uh, and we really checking the relationship with the parents and the kids to make sure that, you know, the parent is okay with us having this relationship with their son or daughter who's going to be providing some input. Um, it's very important to think about that. You know, how can kids help? You know, be supportive. Um, sometimes, as I said, it, you know, it's not going to be well heard from them. So sometimes it, it's helpful just to bring in, have someone come in. Like I come in sometimes and just, just have me come in and just talk to your family about what this experience is like. It's just informative. It's just, just to give you guys some things to think about. And sometimes that's helpful. I would also say it's really helpful to tour communities. Um, if you're thinking about moving to a, a community, it's a big move. It has a lot more to do with, with a lot of things other than just, you know, price and location, right? How's the food? What does it feel like when you get there? Is, it, is the culture of the community something that makes you feel like you would really like that? Um, what are the residents like? Are they outgoing? Are they out in common spaces? Or are they all in their apartments? I mean, these are things that you have, you know, you as a senior will have an opinion about. You may like one and someone else might hate that. But seeing the communities is really helpful. It's um, it's kind of eye-opening. I think people have very um, uh, negative views in many cases about what these communities are like. And when they see them, they're like, wow, which is exactly why so many people who I move are so, you know, delighted and surprised by the fact that they like it so much because they had this negative expectation. Then they get there. They're like, this is great. Hmm. All my old jokes are funny again. <laughs> I got new people to watch the news with. I, there's people who are interested in the same book topics as me. I mean, it's just, it's it's interesting. So I would say tour communities don't be fearful of that process. That's actually a really healthy thing to do. You know, if you are in the situation where you see your parents aging or you are um, helping them, I mean, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for broaching those topics with um, your aging parent or parents in terms of next steps or at least consideration? Would it be just maybe, hey, let's go for a tour and see what it looks like, see if it's even open, or is that too forward? Yeah, I mean, look, it depends on the family, but I think that uh, open conversation is the key to it, right? Um, I think sometimes approaching it from a personal perspective is really helpful. Like, hey, mom and dad, I'm, I'm kind of getting scared. I'm anxious about this thing. And I, you know, I, I get the sense that you, maybe you aren't, but I just want you to know how I'm feeling. Like, I'm starting to feel a little anxious. I'm seeing this thing happen with my friend's family or this thing happening, whatever. And I, 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 I need to talk about it. So take that on yourself as something that they can do to help you versus pressing it on them. I think that's kind of a key. Look, I have a super independent dad who's 92. He doesn't want to talk about anything. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. You know, he's just not interested. But we still broach the topic. Not every time I see him, but, you know, we do have these conversations occasionally. We try not to make them onerous. We try not to, like, we're having a family meeting. But in some families, a family meeting is exactly the right thing. So it's a little tough to know, but I would just generally say, don't try to direct it too much. Your parents are grown-ups. They got to be their age the old-fashioned way by the school of hard knocks, and, you know, they learned and they believe and they have their own systems and methods for thinking about things, and bullying them at this stage is really not going to be effective. And I see that a lot, right, because right. younger population, we're sort of direct. We're like, hey, look, chop, chop, here's the, here's the things I need you to think about, boom, 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 you know, and they're like... Who are you? You know, like like my little like my little baby boy can't tell me these things, you know. And so I'd be careful not to turn that because I think it's hard to turn back a little bit from that. That's great. 
Great insight. Obviously, real estate market in general is really difficult these days. Um, have you seen any changes as interest rates have gone up? And you know, what's the current market for people looking to downsize or move into these senior living facilities? So yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, a couple observations. First of all, you have the value of homes that's gone up dramatically in the last couple of years. So there are a lot of people who are like, this is the time I got to sell my house because, you know, I thought my house was worth $150,000 and now it's worth $300,000 and I didn't know, you know. So there's some impetus for people to really be excited about selling and advancing their plans because of that. Um, that's all well and good for people who maybe are moving out of town or moving into a retirement community where the rates have changed but have not increased at the same level. So relatively speaking, senior living may cost less, has risen less than the value of your home. But if you're thinking, I'm going to move out of my house and now I'm going to move into a ranch condo, you know, guess what? The ranch condo has also um, skyrocketed in terms of valuation. So when you go to see them, you're going to be pretty shocked that you might have to spend, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand bucks to get into a ranch condo and your house is not even worth that much. So some people, you know, you have to take a good hard look at that. What do you really want and where you're going? And is it really going to be a value to sell because of the market? In addition, you have the general demand for ranch housing has gone up because a lot of people are getting to the age where they're like, I don't really want to do the stairs or I know I'm not going to want to do them later. So there's a lot of demand on that. Those kind of housing opportunities driving those prices up. Um, in terms of retirement communities, there's still generally um, more demand than there is supply. It's not true in every community, but in a lot of communities, in the best of the communities, there's a wait list. You don't, you know, I think people sometimes think about their retirement communities like their hotels. Well, when I have to go, I'll just call them up and tell them I'm ready. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't really work that way. You know, um, it's, it, it, there's, a, there's a process in a lot of cases, especially for the best communities. So if you think you want to go to community ABC, and I won't mention any now just because I, you know, I work with all of them. But if you want to go to community ABC, you should be talking to them now. Even if you think in two or three years, that's probably one I'd like to be at, you should be talking to them now and doing a tour and getting on their wait list and understanding the financial dynamics of it so that either if something happens unexpectedly and you have to make the move sooner than you thought, you, you, you're prepared, and or uh, when it comes along, you've or, you know, when they have availability, you can make that choice because there's, you know, there's a wait list. Yeah. And just thinking off the top of my head with the demographics, I mean, I, I would think that as the baby boomer generation continues to age, that problem you just suggested of de uh, demand versus supply is going to get worse before it gets better. So the more proactive someone can be with these conversations, the better served they'd be. It really costs you nothing to be on the wait list. I say that to people all the time. If they call you and say, great news, Mrs. Jones, we have that two bedroom with a terrace you've been waiting for. Why don't you come see it? You can go look at it and go, hmm, eh, I'm still not ready. <laughs> like, it's okay. Uh, but if you don't have your name on that wait list and you need it, you might find yourself in a bit of a spot. It, it seems like then with this, people would probably be staying in their homes more too, just out of necessity because there is nowhere for them to go. And I, I know this isn't your expertise, um, but what are some general things people should think about if they're kind of forced even for a couple of years and they may be in a, a situation where they sh would be much better served in an in a assisted living facility? What are some things people should at least consider if they are kind of homebound for no better reason than supply and demand? Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of things you can do to make your home more livable. 
Um, there are folks who can make some physical uh, updates to your home to make it more functional. Sometimes we've had clients who've you know moved a bedroom downstairs or added grab bars or you know put in a, a the appropriate tub shower system. So there's plenty of physical things that can be done um, to homes. Obviously, there are services you can bring in if you need assistance, if you need help, hands-on assistance with showering or you know eating meals or you just need companion care. There's lots of those options that can help people. I will just say, and again, I'm not. You know, I don't really have a big incentive here, but I will say that that solves some problems, some some physical and logistics problems, but it doesn't solve the loneliness problem. And in my view, one of the primary things that people, seniors, don't really wrap their heads around is how lonely they are in their home. Because their home is their home. They love it. They've lived there forever. But, you know, you've lost a spouse. Maybe you don't go out at night anymore. Maybe you can't drive so well anymore. Your world is shrunk, and now there are fewer social opportunities. So that's one of the reasons people find the communities so surprisingly positive, is they're like, there's people here. I have someone to have lunch with every day, and it's a different person. And so the loneliness factor is huge, and people struggle to, to recognize that. So, look, that's mm -hmm. you can't always solve for all the things but there are certainly things you can do to make a house more livable um, and understanding your financial situation um, in advance of the real need is also helpful I would say because you sort of have to know how, how do you plan financially for the possibility that in the future you may need this kind of care what are the right legal and financial adjustments you might want to make to ensure that if and when that time arises you're well prepared for it. How do you protect assets? How do you, you know, all those things that are above my pay grade. The uh, the health aspect of loneliness, I, I just heard a, a data point. It's almost an anecdotal data point the other day, but it's, it's a little shocking. So imagine two people. Uh, one of them is a smoker, smokes a pack a day, but they have tons of friends, no loneliness. The other person is not a smoker. However, they have no friends, which by the way is a growing epidemic of just people in the country who have no friends. The mortality of the lonely person who's not a smoker is higher than the person who smokes a pack a day just because the, the, the stress, the loneliness, the mental health issues that come along with loneliness are, are very, very real and have real uh, health implications. So you're saying smoke and have friends. Yes, is, smoke is my takeaway. and have a great time. I, 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 I'm not a doctor, but I would think that having friends and not smoking is probably <laughs> the best of both worlds. If <laughs> That's you can, an option If too. you can manage both, That's Gabe. I know it's a lot. But. Um, I will say that, uh, look, we're not intended to go through life. We're social animals. As loners. We are just not. And I say that a lot, too, to clients. Like, that's not how we're built. And loneliness is a killer. It kills people. And stress of loneliness kills people. Communities can often, not always, but can often solve for that. So we usually do a fun fact at the end, just something that people can get to know us better by. I came up with one while we were talking, just on brand a little bit. Karen, we, we talked about sentimentality with objects or things in people's houses. What's everyone's kind of one thing that for one reason or another they're just holding on to, even though it may be irrational or something that, that you've had? Um, I, and I'm asking too because I know mine um, off the top of my head. Well, what's yours? So I have this shirt. I don't know if you're aware, some of our listeners may be aware I was a collegiate athlete, no big deal. Um, but I have this University of Rochester baseball shirt that I, I've had now for a very long time. It is torn, there's like stains on it, there's everything. 
I still wear it around the house. It's, you know, I can't believe it's still together, but for some reason I just cannot bring myself to get rid of it. I actually haven't seen it recently. Maybe Patty threw it out um, without me knowing, so I'll probably have to go home and, and search it out so I can wear it again, but that, that would definitely be my one. Um, you know, uh, boy, lots of different things that people, that people hang on to. Um, you know, old family mementos or things from, you know, grandparents something or other. And this was my grandmother's, you know, hope chest. You see a lot of hope chests. What am I going to do? I can't get rid of it. And we saw, we try to solve for that. We're like, well, let's put the TV on it or, you know, <laughs> let's solve it that way. Um, so those kinds of things. And then things that their kids have given them, you know, like every year my daughter gave me a Hummel for Christmas or, a, you know, Christmas ornament, that kind of thing. We see a lot of that. I, I've been over here brainstorming, struggling with this one a little bit, but I do, I will say that my... That's because you're an unemotional engineer <laughs> at heart. <laughs> my wife uh, has some really fun and interesting sentimental things that she or her family have hung on to over the years. And one of the really cool ones, we just moved into a new house a, a couple months ago, and uh, my wife has kind of this all-in-one a record player speaker system that was originally her grandparents that they bought in like the, the 40s or 50s and now it's sitting in our house and it still works it still plays we're playing Bing Crosby and and uh, Frank Sinatra albums on it and it's it's very cool very interesting it's got a great story to it so I think that's that's gonna be the one that I nominate that's neat cool and listeners thank you for tuning in to the trusted partner podcast we want to start answering some of your questions on the show so if you have an investing a financial planning a personal finance question send that question to podcast at cobblestonecap.com once again that's podcast at cobblestonecap.com thank you again for listening to the trusted partner podcast